0: Good y'all. Welcome back to Cycle365. We are continuing our youth sports mini series. If you have not checked out our last episode with Jasmine Hughes, uh, which should have dropped last week. You now she's a female hockey player about to go play college at Alvernia in Pennsylvania. She had some great insight. Check it out. But today, you know, I got some legends with us, some guys that, you know, for the last three years, I've really gotten to know uh, at the University of Northern Colorado. They're physical education majors as well. Uh, hey, why don't y'all go ahead and introduce yourselves?
1: All right. I'm Jake Schaefer. I am a future adapted PE teacher. Um, and just for the sake of this
2: podcast, uh, my primary sport is tennis. Uh, my name is Nick Garza. I'm a future PE teacher and coach and my primary sport would be basketball. Hey.
0: Hey, welcome onto the show.
2: Thanks, Thanks for having
0: us. Of course. So, these guys are here because we're here to talk about discrimination in youth sports. I'm pretty sure all of us has had experience with students or kids one way or another in a in a sport kind of environment. I know I've coached for a little bit I know Jake and Nick has coached as well, you know? And so we, we have, we have a bit to pull from, I would say, you know?
2: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's for sure.
0: Let's kick this thing off. Oh, <clears throat> number one question before we get into discrimination, in youth sports, that main topic. Oh, so what, what are y'all stances when it comes to teaching social justice or discrimination, uh, in whether it's in, you know, youth sports or as a PE teacher?
1: Um, I'll start off with this, you know, I come from a Christian background and it's really about loving one another, regardless of how your opinions or beliefs of someone. Like I understand that the Bible has some topics such as let's say homosexuality, for instance, that is not condoned. However, I, as a teacher am called to love all my students the same you know so if i have a child that is homosexual it doesn't matter i still have to love them the exact same as someone who is heterosexual um you know god god's uh, judgment on me for my sins is not better or worse than the homosexual um That's just me. And I've had a kid who was homosexual. And, you know, when he asked me about my beliefs, I said, hey, this is what I believe, but I still love you. And we had a fantastic relationship because we could take shots at each other and, you know, have a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, no doubt. And I I mean, I myself... I, I come from a pretty Christian background as well. And so I totally believe that. And that's something that's in my teaching philosophy. You know, I mean, not only do I want to, you know, show kids, Hey, no matter what, I still care about y'all. I got y'all's back. But I also want to teach them like, look, I should treat other people the same, how you want to be treated. That's, that's at least how I feel about yeah, stuff like exactly.
2: that. Golden rule. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah. But yeah. So do you <laughs> want to go?
2: Yeah, yeah. As for me, um, I grew up in like a very uh, diverse background with, you know, people being gay, being straight, lesbian, white, purple, black, it doesn't matter. The common thing that I was taught and raised on was to show love and give love, no matter your ethnicity or anything like that. And that's what I'm trying to instill with my students, to show love no matter your race or whatever, your soul, any difference or anything. We all come together, we're all human. We only have one race on this world and that's the human race.
0: Yeah. yeah, for sure. So so y'all would pretty much say that, you know, it is kind of a coach's or a teacher's job or role to, you know, instill these kind of beliefs about social justice and discrimination in our athletes and students, am I correct?
2: Yeah, I think yeah. it's very important for us to teach that because, you know, some students aren't being taught this at home, so or during school because they don't actually teach this in courses. So for us to do it through curricular activities, I think it's a perfect time because we are exposing students to many different backgrounds. You know, you got kids that are Hispanic, you got kids that are white, you got kids that are black, you got kids that are Asian. But if we don't teach them this, they're gonna be nasty and ugly to to each other no matter what school we go to. But if you teach them the right way, maybe this can push the culture forward and change things for future generations to come
0: sure do yeah. you have anything go on the one thing
1: like i really like the idea of reverse inclusion you know that's more of an adapted concept but when you when you have let's say a kid in a wheelchair and they're playing basketball nobody wants if your objective is to win nobody wants the kid in a wheelchair but if you put everybody in a wheelchair now everybody wants to be on the team with the kid who's already been in a wheelchair because he knows how to operate his chair and dribble at the same time and so you think about that concept and you say okay so now how can i take the child with a disability or let's take so yeah okay so you have the child who's not necessarily a disability but a minority. How do you include him in opportunities where he normally would be excluded?
0: I like that. I like that. Yeah. And I mean, that's facts though, because look, the real world reality, let's talk about reality in the real world, the adult world. No, not everyone. We want to talk about it. Like, no, everyone's created equal. Everyone has all these equal rights. But as we have seen with George Floyd, with many other cases that's happened, um, on the last couple of weeks. Also, by the way, this is getting recorded on May 29th, 2020. So this will release in a couple of weeks. And from here until then, there's a lot that's probably going to happen, I'm sure. Well, that's, that's just where I'm coming from. But anyways, you know, I mean, the reality is that, you know, with those situations, like with George Floyd, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to think about what would happen if he was not black, if he was white, or if he was something else, you know, just mm-hmm. because I mean, hey, I'm just going to be honest, you know, like discrimination is real. And I know some police officers, you know, not all of them are bad, but some definitely hold certain prejudices or discriminations against, you know, people of color. And it's well documented, I would say, especially at a time where, you know, social media is an all time high. And I mean, you could pretty much record anything anywhere and get exactly. footage on anything anywhere.
2: Yeah. Can I go on and add on that? Yeah, go for it. You know, you often hear people defending, oh, we always have more good cops than bad cops. But let's say we have Mm -hmm. a thousand good cops and ten bad cops. And these ten bad cops continue to do harm and, you know, unfair or handle people unfairly and do what they do and taking lives. And these thousand cops are letting them do it. That just shows you we have a thousand and ten bad cops. If they truly were good cops and believed in good and doing good, then they would stop those cops from doing what they're doing. And maybe we wouldn't have to outbreak the way we are and seeing things the way we are in this country. It's saddening.
0: Oh, for sure. I totally agree. And I think it's our jobs first off as educators and coaches, you know, really help out our kids and their moral compass. Because here's the thing, you know, making the right decision is never i mean honestly a lot of the time it's not an easy thing to do you know it's not an easy thing to like i I mean this this is gonna make me cringe a little bit but like go against the brotherhood or the history that's already been established you know and and speak out and and this goes for any situation really Mm -hmm. you know this could be racism um sexism all that stuff classism even oh and It's hard to do the right thing but as coaches and as teachers i think it's our responsibility to not only you know show our kids like hey this is how you do it but also this is why we do it you know
1: exactly. yeah for sure you know being white i will never know what it or i hope to never feel what it's like to be discriminated against you know i can't imagine what you know garza you've I'm sure you've been through it, you know I oh, know no. Joan has been through it, I'm sure, Simon, you've been through it
0: hmm.
1: but I don't I haven't, and you know, I would say I'm sorry, but there's no reason that you should accept my apology because I am one for the entire nation or one Correct. in the entire nation, and you know it's that same philosophy it's that same principle that I don't know how you feel, but as a coach like if i can understand you like build that relationship with a kid you know i had when i was coaching high school girls tennis we had a indian tennis player and you know just understand their culture you know what do they what do they cook what do they how do they share meals what's important You know if you can understand that person boom you've made that instant connection and can actually it almost uh, i don't know if trust is the right word but you at least understand them a little bit more
0: yeah no you're right i mean it is i feel like coaching and teaching both go hand in hand at times and i think building relationships is always a big part of that because i mean i mentioned this last week on the episode with jasmine we we kind of touched about discrimination a little bit because you know she is a female hockey player and whatnot and she's playing a mostly male dominant sport. But we did talk about how our relationships is always important, right? And how to be a good coach and to be a good teacher, you gotta know your students, athletes, have a relationship with them because how could you properly teach and coach them if you don't know what they need to work on?
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: Oh, for sure and i think this is just another thing uh, another aspect of youth sports that you know coaches and you know whoever should definitely emphasize at times because youth sports I mean, this is my opinion. Y'all feel free to chime in afterwards. But my opinion about youth sports is that, yes, it's about you know building up an athlete, giving him or her confidence to do better and then eventually do better. And then obviously, you know, teach the sport and have fun. But it's also a way where you could teach multiple transferable skills and life lessons. And I think you know, talking about discrimination, social justice, stuff like that, that's a way to open up that avenue for them and let them explore it on their own after you know you leave them.
2: Oh yeah, yeah I totally s- agree. All right, yeah, I totally agree. You know, just opening up their mind to you know that topic and that subject, and letting them be aware, and then letting them explore and finding out and seeing these situations for for themselves, and allowing them to go ahead and make the choices, hoping that it's a good choice and the right choice to stand up for these things. You know, because it's guaranteed that they're gonna see you know racism, you know favoritism, classism all the way up until they're done playing a sport it's inevitable so to be able to open this up to them at a younger age so they know that this is what goes on and they're not closed-minded and open-minded at a young age i think it could do more uh do more good than harm
0: did you have something you wanted to add to that or
1: yeah i think that you know so being a coach having those those drills that you do with all the players and then you do the same drills over and over again but you say okay you have to be with somebody you haven't been yet so you know I, I play tennis where the predominant majority actually you don't need predominant in that sense you just need the majority of players are white and you have maybe one or two minority and if they are partners with each other because they look at everybody else and see oh everybody else is white they automatically feel excluded. But you say, okay, you have to pick somebody new, then everybody works with everybody else. And so by the end, you don't see the minority. You just see, oh, that's Jackson. He has a really good backhand. I want to be that guy's partner. Would would they have learned that any other way? Mm,
0: Probably not. Amen. Oh, Hey, fully agreed. All right, so... I that we had touched on that, I think that was very important to touch on first, you know, just teaching them because I know there are definitely, um, you know, some coaches or teachers who feel like it's not their place to talk about social justice or discrimination or to bring it up at a minimum, you know, just because, it, you know, politics and sports don't mix. And so I personally totally disagree with that statement, politics and sports not mixing. So. Do y'all agree or <laughs> disagree or yeah. what?
2: I agree with you 100. percent.
1: Yeah, I just yeah, I agree with that. Bec- yeah, just because the stage, how much emphasis sports has in society.
2: Exactly.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. All right, so let's uh, let, let's get into the nitty gritty of it. But first question I got about discrimination in youth sports, so not. I guess, necessarily about teaching it, but discrim- potential discrimination in it. How can athletes potentially be discriminated against in youth sports that potentially affect their level level of play or the amount of time they play? And uh, feel free to pull on you know as many personal experiences as possible because I definitely have some. So, I mean, Nick, Jake, if either one of y'all want to start, go for it.
2: All right. Well, um, yeah, I would like to speak on it first. Um, so... I do have background on being, you know, treated different because I was brown and not getting playing time because I was brown. When it was obvious that my talent and my skill was better than most, but because of my last name and my skin tone, I was treated unfair. It was crazy to me to think about it because like me and fellow teammates that were, you know white caucasian however you want to say it we would do the same stuff make the same mess ups but yet i would get punished uh, dramatically and be told to do something as a punishment when the other kid would do the same thing and he would be praised like are you are you blinded to what's happening or what you're seeing like yeah i've i've had stuff like that happen and it's played a role because I'm the type of person that was taught to stand up for myself. And so I did, I, st- I stood up for myself and then consequently it affected my playing time. And it's sad to hear and sad to see when you can't pitch your personal beliefs to the side and you're willing to put one of your top two best players on the bench because of these differences you have. And it's, it's unfair to see and to go through And that's why I hope to be that coach that instills all this stuff to avoid what's happening, to go ahead and push the culture forward so that these students don't have to see it or have to go through it, but they understand this is what happens.
0: Oh, for sure.
1: So discrimination in youth sport. So my tennis coach growing up, he was black and, he So he grew up in Denver in the early 80s, probably. And he wasn't allowed to play tennis because he was black. Even though he was very athletically gifted, he, w- he had to play football. It was mandated by his parents. And, you know the reason he found tennis was he had a buddy that had an extra racket and they'd go out and play on weekends and he was getting better. But then when it came football season, he had to drop his racket. And so he couldn't play tennis, obviously. And you think about what it took away from that child's enjoyment. Like, Hey, I enjoy doing this. Nope. Sorry. You're going to play something else. So he was automatically rejected just because of a skin tone. That's crazy. And and like the youth today, I think this is a completely different tangent. um, But like the youth look at pros. Like you look Mm -hmm. at statistically what percentage of let's say basketball players are a minority. This, the statistics are much higher than you, than the minority in tennis. Like I looked at the men's and women's top 25 players and in the men, there are two players in the top 25 in the world who are a minority. Women, it's a little bit better at four. Um, But that four remains the same through the top 50. And so, I think it's interesting that, oh, you say, oh, Wimbledon is on. Who do I want to watch? Or who can I watch? You can watch Europeans play tennis. Or if you're lucky, Serena. But on the men, you're stuck watching Nadal, watching Federer, watching Djokovic, watching Bob You know, you're not unless you know who Gael Malfese is, you got no shot of watching a person of minority. And so kids say that and they're like, oh, well, there must not be any other minority tennis players. When when in all actuality, there is. It's just in doubles, which isn't televised as much. So it's an interesting dynamic of Okay, I want to be like somebody, except they're not like me, and to a kid that means a lot more than we'd think.
0: Yeah. Oh, I mean, no doubt about it. I think thank you both. It hit it right up on the nail. You know, I mean, I've known. So here, my experiences is, is I've definitely, definitely played for coaches who. Kind kind of looked down on me because I was an Asian American, and you usually don't see any football players, are that you know. For me personally, the closest I could get to watching an Asian American play football was like Heinz Ward and Troy Palomalu, mostly because you know, at least for Troy Palomalu, I'm pretty sure you know he was an Islander, a Pacific Islander, and I was yeah. Filipino. That's, mm-hmm. I mean, that's not even really the same thing either. Like Filipinos are Asian, not Pacific Islander. but anyways, so it was, it was tough for me to, you know, grow up and kind of be motivated by somebody of, of my skin color, you know? And even as a coach nowadays, like I, there, there aren't any Asian American football coaches, you know, there's one Asian American football coach in college football history and, and that's it. And then there hasn't been any Asian American football coaches in the NFL ever, at least to my knowledge. So, you for athletes growing up, that kind of – that has an effect on them. And, you know, I talked about this last week with Jasmine because she – I asked her, you know, what are some things that could help out kids who are discriminated against or, you know, females to get more into hockey and stuff like that. And she said, well, you know, it it really comes down to letting them get exposed to people who are like them, you know, playing a sport. Because there are many times – this is just quoting her where she would help out with hockey camps and she would be the only like girl there, uh, instructor wise. And then she would always like, you know, go to the two or three girls that are playing and like the group of, you know, 50 something little kids, little boys. And, you know, make sure to talk to them to give them a little bit extra motivation at times, because, you know, as a female hockey player, it's tough. You know, sometimes you got to play with the bit with the boys, you know, because there just aren't any female leagues. That's just how it is. And so, yeah, I mean, I think you're totally right. Uh, case-wise, that's definitely, you know, one way uh, athletes get discriminated against. I think, honestly, as well, we could bring in classism as well because, I, I mean, I think this is just a little obvious, but, like, kids who aren't as financially stable may not be able to play in youth sports leagues. Am I wrong here? Or what do y'all think about that?
2: Oh, you're, you're absolutely, absolutely right depending on what class they're in, you know. So if you're probably in the lower half, the blue collar working society, you probably don't have a higher chance of joining sports because mom and pop don't have enough money to go ahead and fund for extra sports. And that just plays a role into everything. Um, compared to, you know, the the white collar class that mom and dad are doctors and lawyers and they have more than enough money to go ahead and give for their students to be able to adventure off in sports and try out what they like.
1: Yeah. And, you know, playing a quote unquote country club sport, I have been very blessed with the ability to play a sport that is expensive. You know, I've had private lessons, I've had summer camps, you know, other kids are barely lucky if they get a walmart racket um you know and there's and there's some sports that all you need is a ball like soccer you look at some of the african countries and they have a ball that's held that's barely held together but they're a heck of a lot better than american kids <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah no you're you're totally right but it does vary from sport to sport i'd say i mean throwing it back to last week again you know we did talk about privilege and talked about you know how do kids who have access to training camps to trainers to better equipment fare against you know kids who don't have any of that and i, mean, I think it's you know obviously I used to say this all the time, but my opinion has definitely changed. Like, if you're a baller, then you're a baller. You know what I'm saying? Like, you go be talented wherever you are in whatever situation. Yeah. But I definitely think as I've gotten older that there are certain things that, you know, kind <clears> of, <throat> you know, maybe, maybe change that opinion a little bit just because you can be talented. But raw talent is one thing. Refined talent is another. You know? And to have refined talent, you got to have the equipment. Sure, yeah, exactly. You got to have fun. It's
1: all about that attitude and that effort.
0: Yes, that too. No like attitude if, and
1: effort. If the kid doesn't have that, you can buy him a $300 racket. It's not going to change.
2: Huh? Can I add on? Come on. So we're talking about classes and whatnot. And like what I was speaking on, like it comes from personal experience. Like my mom and dad, they... They worked hard. You know, my mom worked two jobs and my dad worked evenings, so I really didn't get to see them, but they were just busting and grinding to make do's or make, you know, make a do what to do and make sure that there's a, a roof over her head and food on her table. Oh. They saw that I was a good athlete. They saw that I could be great, but unfortunately, we didn't have the money to go ahead and give me the resource to develop. I was naturally a raw, talented basketball player growing up, but... When it came to being able to go to out-of-state tournaments, to join clubs, to progress, that wasn't in the picture because money, because of the class that we were in, but say if we were in a higher class and my mom and dad were, you know, a doctor and a lawyer, you better believe I would have been up in the best of the best for clubs, for the traveling teams, going to the best states to play the best competition, and... Quite frankly, if my parents would have had, you know, that and been able to give me this, I probably would be somewhere else or would have been a collegiate athlete. But, you know, that's just the way life is and it panned out for me. And I was just limited on my resources. So yeah, my skill level was only able to exceed a certain level because of my resources.
0: For sure, I agree. And I also do agree that attitude and effort a Role, I think that plays a role in all sports, but for sure in sports that don't require maybe as many trainers or you know coaches with knowledge, I think I think that's where it applies. You know, and I I get what you're saying. You know, because like I said, there are people who have you know access to better coaching. Better training and whatnot. And you know, raw talent's raw talent, but it could really only bring you so far. Because I mean, if I'm being, I'm, I played, you know, back in middle school and high school, and I did get the opportunity against uh, Kyler Murray, you know, who was who, right now, he's the quarterback of the Arizona Cardinals. He won the Heisman, yada, yada, all that stuff. I've brought it up on the show a billion times, at least. And look, <laughs> here's the thing, you know, class and wealth and stuff like that transcends race. To to a degree, because you know, obviously Kyler Murray's black, and then I'm Asian American. There you go. But Kyler Murray, you know, his dad first off is easily one of the best quarterback coaches in the country, and has been for a really long time. So he had that. You know, obviously he played quarterback in college and whatnot, and and you know his family altogether were very well off. You know, they were. Okay, I'm not gonna get into speculations and whatnot because I'm sure could go into you know bribes and paying off and whatever. But they, as far as I knew, they were very well off. They could afford pretty much every camp. You know, bringing him to. Wherever have the best coaches, have the best trainers. You know, they transferred him from Lewisville. This is something not many people know, but they transferred him from Louisville, where I personally first played him, and went to Allen High School, who just bought like a brand new, like $30 million stadium that's better than probably our alma mater's UNCs. It is better. I've been in both, so here you go. And you know, hey, <clears throat> sometimes all that stuff pays off because. You get used to playing in front of big crowds. You get more refined. You have more time to work on your craft and whatnot. And, I I mean, I definitely think class and wealth plays a certain role because, like I said, you know, you could be talented, but raw talent's one thing, refined talent's another. Raw talent's definitely a little bit more capped off unless you're like a LeBron James type, which is already a rare thing to be, you know? Mm
2: Mm-hmm. But with his talent being so raw and so unique and, like, once-in-a-generation type, people wanted to help him. Although there was people trying to bribe, but when you're a diamond in the haystack, people are going to do whatever they can do to find you, you know? But when you are a great player with raw talent, but only great, not amazing, that's when you can get capped off.
0: Oh. Oh that's that's very true. I, I totally agree with that. Nick, did you have anything more else you wanted to add on this question or topic? I'm good. Sounds good. Sound good too. Oh, moving forward, what could be done to prevent discrimination and who must be held responsible for this? And I'm talking about discrimination be within youth sports, whether it's a league or a team, stuff like that.
2: Um starting off with the the zero policy. No matter your parent, coach, official, organizer, anything. Zero tolerance for discrimination. And if there is any slight of discrimination to any degree or leading up to that, then there should be consequences. Consequences that should no longer allow you to be involved with the youth sport organization, the team, the traveling, the games, practices, any of that. It should be... Something that's set in stone at the beginning of the season and held as a contract.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of my, one of the guys I played tennis against when I was in high school, he's now a baseball coach. Um, and he has a zero policy in terms of discrimination or any, or any, even on sportsmanship um, when it comes to baseball. And if, let's say, You're heckling the batter in the dugout. He'll swap you out, even if you're the starting pitcher. He doesn't. Like, there are things that are bigger than sports. And Mm -hmm. that's one of those things. And, you know, he has a talk with players and their families at the beginning of the season. And if the families can't get on board, he'll ask them not to come watch their son play. Which makes a huge difference. For the child, and you know, I'm, I'm not sure I necessarily agree with that. I mean, just come to the game, just shut your mouth. But anyway, um, you know, there there are some things that are bigger than sports, and that's just one of them. You treat other people how you want to be treated. You treat people how they sh- should be treated.
2: Exactly.
0: Oh, I mean, I couldn't say it better myself, honestly. I mean, I, I see. Here's the thing. I know there are plenty of teams that do have, you know, in quotation marks, or air quotation marks, zero policy or zero tol- tolerance policies. But, uh, no, you know, the amount of team that follows those policies when it comes to maybe influential family or a star player that's in question, uh, you know, uh, that are should i see that are violating those policies you know suddenly those poli- policies don't become zero tolerance you know give them passes and i think that's unacceptable and you see that happen a lot and i mean I, I don't know how to battle that personally but i know you know as an adult as a coach or whoever on your team you know you gotta hold other people accountable for that stuff you know
2: exactly mm-hmm. i know what you
1: mean yeah there was there was a high school match that when i was in high school uh i played three singles um so there were two lines of singles ahead of me and the number two singles our coach my tennis coach who since he he had a rough childhood you know grew up in denver in the hood anyway great story of how he got out but he was no messing around you you do something out of line you're done uh, number two singles said something uh, racially inappropriate. Coach said, shake, shake the opponent's hand, you're done. And you know, this was like 1-3 in the first set. Like a whole lot of tennis left to be played. But send a message, yeah, you're done. Shake his hand after he just insulted him and then forfeit the match.
0: Oh. Yeah. I mean, that's how it should be done. You know, that's a true zero-tolerance policy, you know?
2: I but applaud that man for sticking strong with his policy. Because at that point in time, he could be like, "Ah, but we're trying to win. No, you need to stick strong to your guns and set the example, no matter who it is. Yeah.
1: And, and you know, there were players that <laughs> would have <been>, a... <gasps> tantrum on the court and be like nope you're done see ya I mean it's not discrimination it's just how to be a good person yeah it's
2: teaching them the correct Ooh. behaviors and that bad behavior is not tolerated yeah
0: Boom. I mean hey like I said sometimes doing the right thing is the hardest thing to do you know but as coaches especially we gotta be those examples you know we can't just talk it and then you know, something comes up and we and we bail out you know it's not that's not how that works. You know, you got to walk the talk.
2: Exactly.
1: Sure. You got to know what your philosophy is. If you really value winning or if you really value that player development.
0: True. It's very true. Yeah. All right. So speaking of player development, uh, the next topic we're talking about, it's kind of, it's still discrimination, I would say, <coughs> but let's talk about hazing and then in quotation marks in bonding exercises. How much can they possibly help a team versus a hurt versus hurting a team? And, you know, we, we could pull on some, uh, some experiences. I don't think any of us are actually, you know, athletes, so it can't actually hurt our team anymore, but yeah, hazing stuff like that.
1: You can go first, Jake. Okay. Um, well, being personally hazed in high school, it hurts the team and the individual, especially. So in tennis, there's, there, there was a tradition, it has since been disbanded, praise the Lord, um, <laughs> called butts up. So you stand at the opposite baseline as someone else, as the uh, server. They get one serve, they can serve as hard as they can. The only stipulation is that the ball must bounce before it hits you. However, if their serve hits you out of the air, then you get a shot at hitting them. And you say, okay, that's not too terrible. Um, Maybe. Um, Except when there are three freshmen and everybody else on the team of 20 decide, hey, let's go for the tallest freshman on the team. Because why not? And then you get hit twelve or thirteen times for the first week of practice, which is known as freshman initiation.
0: Wow, that's was this something that like the coaching staff supported or
1: one of the coaches?
0: Yeah. Wow, and I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, because I feel like with hazing, it definitely drives not gonna lie, a little bit of a divide between, you know, teammates, players, and coaches. Just because mm-hmm. uh, yeah, there there are some things that, that go a little bit too far, you know, for sure. And it it's not like you just forget it, like, oh it happened, so I'm not gonna you know, remember this for the next three years that I'm teammates or around these people. I feel like that's definitely something that sticks and it's definitely a form of bullying.
1: Oh yeah. yeah. For sure. Um you know, because I was on the cusp of varsity. Um so there's in Colorado there's three lines of singles and then four lines of doubles for 11 total. And I was some weeks I was 11, some weeks I was 12, but most weeks I would question, do I really want to be the 11th guy? Because you know, even throughout the even throughout practices there would be drills or games that oh the winners get to do butts up on the losers so if there's eight people on a court and we're playing doubles two winners six losers those two get three sirs each trying to hit the other person with the other (coughs) team and so you're like do i really want to be on a team for an entire tournament day which is a weekend with people who have smashed 95 mile an hour serves at my behind. No, I'm fine with being the 12th guy off.
0: Yeah. I mean, that, that makes sense to me. That's, that's a fair way of thinking for sure. Hey, first off, thank you for, you know, sharing that story with us. Yeah, you're welcome. Did you have anything you wanted to add on or talk Um, about with this?
2: Yeah. Like back in high school, when I played football, a lot of team hazing went on in the locker room. The coaches didn't know about it, but none of the players spoke up on it because no one wanted to be, quote unquote, the snitch. Um. So, yeah, it made me like not really want to play football anymore from freshman year on. I was always, you know, the person that was always trying to get dressed right away in and out of the locker room just to avoid all that because me personally, I wasn't trying to partake in it and be around that at all or let alone let that happen to me because I know for a fact that if someone were gonna do that to me, I was gonna just stand there and let them do it. So I just try to avoid the whole situation. But it's sad to see how like that really did divide and pretty much turn the football team, which is supposed to be a one-team brotherhood, into several cliques. Oh, you got these people here, these people here. And you could see it on the football field. It all transpired over, and that led to us not being a great football team.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I've definitely, through situations that are similar... I mean, I, here, I'll, I'll share my story, you know, um, or at least one of them. So I played a little bit of football in Colorado. I do have a little bit of experience in Texas, and there was some hazing there, but that's a little... <laughs> If I'm being honest, that stuff's a little bit more uh touchy, I would say, and you know, i am go I'm gonna steer away from that for now, and uh, we'll we'll talk about it another day, but in Colorado, I could say for a fact <laughs> you used to have like the freshmen come through right, so even if you were like a backup like j v or whatever, but you were still there for the varsity game, um you still kind of had to do this, and there weren't like a ton of freshmen playing and whatnot or at least on the roster but there are a couple so it was me and a couple other guys and this was kind of just like a weird little tradition that they would always do like there's who are first yes playing on the varsity team even though they're not even playing it's kind of complicated you know and like oh my god i thought it was the stupidest thing i never did it like they'd make us like smoke like a whole blunt like each of us you know before the game and then you know go to the game and whatnot that was like a one-time thing but like in my head i was like Christoph, uh that's not gonna fly because i'm not about to let you you know give me whatever say it is and it's it could be something totally different and then i'm just tripping on the sideline and if i get into the game during a football game i'm not about to like you know be tripping and then get know paralyzed or get concussed or stuff like that because that's stupid also i want to win the game i don't know why y'all would like put yourselves in that state but they'd always do that and i thought it was the stupidest thing you know, ever and that was something that they did a lot i mean team parties that was another thing and i'm, I'm not gonna lie those were extremely illegal and whatnot but oh you know, there were definitely some people who had some connections and uh, yeah, I mean, I'll just leave it at that. But yeah, like I said, it's definitely something that can be used to, disc- to discriminate against athletes on a team against each other. And that's, I mean, that's a terrible thing to think about, you know?
2: Yeah. <clears throat> another going on, continue on with this, just thinking about another story it was like every time we had team bondings where we had team dinners at families' houses, somehow, some way, people, like the captains, of the team would bring gloves over and make it where, you know, the biggest dudes on the team were going against the smallest dudes. And it's like you're promoting violence and bullying and stuff like that. And no wonder why people don't want to play on the same team same team as you or don't want to work with you. It was just crazy to think like these were these kids mentality. Like and what in your right mind thinks that's okay, you know? Like hey. Those other kids don't have consent or pretty much say you're pretty much told. No, glove up. Let's go.
0: Oh, for sure. And like I said, it's definitely a form of bullying, which is never a good thing. And I mean, honestly, all I could see it as is something that just, you know, kills chemistry. And I'm sure there are some other team traditions or whatnot that are more productive. Hazing for sure is something that even though it should be something that's taken away, it's not. You know, and some coaches just let it happen for the sake of tradition, the sake of, you know, uh pleasing some adults who may be alumni who may support it as well, you know?
1: Yeah, it's just gotta sure. be one of those zero to- zero tolerance policies at this point. Right. I mean I mean there's obviously there's a there's the physical component, but you know, Nick and I are five plus years out of high school and we still remember it. And that was when we mm-hmm. were freshmen. So that really puts it at more like eight or nine, maybe even 10 oh. years of emotional damage that we've been through. Yeah.
0: So moving forward. We're we're wrapping this thing up now, you know, but Hey, uh, last question. What are some lasting effects of discrimination in youth sports on the athlete and sports culture altogether? This is something that, uh, you, you know, it should be talked about. I think not a lot of people talk about sports culture and how it could be damaging to some kids outside of physically, but uh, outside of the physical aspect, but, you know, as well as mentally and emotionally. But, you know, what are some lasting effects of discrimination, whether it's, you know, racism or hazing or, or whatever, you know, in, in y'all's experience, impact athletes and sports culture?
1: Do you want to go first for me, Jake? Uh, I'll start us off. I think that, you know, as teachers, as physical educators, we want to have kids be active for a lifetime. Um, And so the discrimination, the resentment, the lack of motivation for playing sports and even being active is there for that child. And if they get discriminated upon or hazed upon in one setting let's say to make the basketball team because of race you know they may not want to join a team be active with other people for the rest of their life you know and that
2: that really hurts Ooh, yeah i would like to add on to like when you have players or a coach, per se, you know, treat you bad, you know, racially bad, and you have to go through it, it's creating resentment, trust, too, within future coaches. Like, for my example, this happened my sophomore year of high school, just before tryouts. I had a couple, you know, grades that were slipping, but <clears throat> I was currently going to Go see those teachers during what we called advisement, pretty much 30 minutes to get your homework done done, or go see teachers to get missing assignments in. Um, Before I left, I remember my basketball coach walking in. Mind you, this is the same basketball coach I spoke about earlier that I had complications with. He sat down. He had my grade report. And he's like, do you see these? And I'm like, yeah, that's where I'm going right now. And he's like, all right, go ahead and come, come a little closer and lean in. I'm like, all right, so I lean in, and my hands are on my knees, I'm, I'm defenseless. He looks at me, looks at the grades, with his left hand, open hand smacks me across the face, and I'm in awe, I don't know what to do. A grown man just laid his hands on me, and if me, being a student, and being a Hispanic Latino student, to react and possibly potentially put his hands on the teacher, right away, I'm gonna be in the wrong. What's really sad and crazy to think is, no one saw in the class except for my core teacher. She was sitting right next to him and saw that. I saw her facial expression and her face was in awe too. But did she report it? She did not. That was sad to see. Later on down the school year, right after basketball season ended, it was a situation with me and one of my favorite teachers that I had, had a great relationship Truly had a great relationship because she knew me, knew my older brothers, and cared for us. We're messing around, and she's like, well, I'm going to get your coach, and we all knew it was a joke. She said at the end of it, he was supposed to say, get back to work, Garza, and walk out. He took it upon himself to go ahead and say, all right, Nick, come with me. I walked out the class right outside the classroom. He kept the door propped open and told me that I need to behave but what we're going to do to help this go ahead and lift your shirt up so I lift my shirt up and he tells me all right understand this is going to hurt a little bit it's going to sting knowing that I'm about to get hit by my coach that is the head varsity coach that had been there for years was actually my oldest brother's coach treated him the same mind you and he open hand smacked me across the stomach so hard that it left the imprint of his entire hand across my stomach, red as can be and made me go back into the class with my teacher in front of the entire class with everyone staring at me. And he makes me show my teacher, look what I did as if he's proud of what he just committed. It makes me and humiliates me in front of my entire class and show, make me show my stomach. Do you know what that did to me as a young boy, as a young man? That humiliated me. That brought me down to ground zero. I couldn't believe a place where I'm supposed to be safe and feel at peace that I was abused. Moments later, I just I I bolted out like I left the classroom. I couldn't deal with it. I couldn't deal with people staring at me and thinking, oh, my gosh, what just happened? I was so defenseless, bro. Yeah, but that's that's what happened. And that's why this stuff and this topic hits so hard at home. Because I know if I was white, that would not have happened to me. Because there were other kids on the team that were probably worse than me, causing more trouble than me. But because of who I am, my skin tone, he took it upon himself to do that. And his excuse was, oh, I thought we had a good relationship. No, you knew we didn't have a good relationship. My mom, my parents, they did not like you. They knew that. You knew that. So why did you find it okay to put your hands on me as a student, a 16-year-old boy? I remember times during practice, he would literally get in my face and other people's faces that were Hispanic, Latino, and tell us, If I was your age, I would fuck you up right now. What kind of man tells kids that? That's in a power, a position of power, a position of trust. And it's crazy to think when it was all said and done, he's still teaching. He still has his license. He just got removed from our high school and put at another middle school within the town.
0: Wow. First off, I re-appreciate, you know, the story you said, and, you know, that's that's very rare of you to say that. Because, look, here, the thing is, like, that's definitely child abuse, you know? And it is. And the fact that he's still out there is is not okay. And, oh, my gosh. And here's the thing. Like, a lot of people be saying, like, look, racism, that's in the past. Or s- discrimination, that barely exists. And you have a couple bad apples. But the no, thing is yes it definitely does like if people dying doesn't say that then you know, we have stories like uh like nick just said that definitely you know reapprove this and hey like i said i've went through some similar things you know i've had a you know, white coaching staffs play all white lineups on purpose to teach you know me and uh me and my buddies i guess people of color a lesson which doesn't make any sense and i i mean i'm gonna be honest like This is something that really hits home with me as well because some of these people think that they got some sort of authority over us more than just being a teacher and a coach you know like like if we're talking maybe like supremacy type of stuff as well and that's that's never okay and that's something that i feel like a lot of people not just kids, you know, because I'm kids, I'm not I'm never gonna blame the kids because they're just you know, they're just trying to be there, you know, like they're growing up. They really can't do right. it all, a whole ton. But adults and teachers and administration and people that know about racism, know about you know, child abuse, stuff like that, those are the ones that you kinda gotta look out for because it definitely brings up the question, you know, how come there isn't any change? Exactly. And yeah, and they need to be held accountable. And I think a lot of people are more willing to kind of look the other way and just chalk it up as like, oh, well, it's just one of those things that happen every now and then. And it really shouldn't be happening at all in the year 2020. And they give them a pass and that's it. That's that.
2: exactly. And I think that's another big push on why I want to be an educator, why I want to be a coach, because I want to put myself. In this environment, to be able to be for those kids and be there for those kids in case something like this happens, to understand and know that there is a teacher that's actually going to have your back and stand up for you and stand up for your rights. Because that teacher that witnessed me get smacked across the face, when it came court time to talk about all these situations, she denied it. He denied it. And so it made me look like I was a liar. But I had picture
0: proof. Like I said, thank you for sharing that story because that is super eye-opening, honestly, and something that needs to be battled, to say the least. And I mean, like I said, it's it's an uphill battle too. This isn't something that's easy. And mm-hmm. I mean, going back to teaching about social justice and discrimination, I mean, I even feel like our experiences this is why you know we got to bring up discrimination this is why we got to bring up social justice stuff like that and I'll teach our kids better that's that's always that's always the thing and I'll I'll share one more story I definitely I've, I've coached for a little bit I'm only 21 so I haven't coached for a long time but I've worked with a number of kids and last summer there was a kid that I used to coach that I used to work with you know, and I, I'm not going to say the name or whatnot, because I think uh, it's it's been brought up already. And I already know he's not going to get justice. That's just how it is. But in my opinion, he got wrongfully murdered. I, uh, the, um, oh, how much do I want to expose? That's just it. In my opinion, I think he got wrongfully murdered by the police department and they kind of let it go. And I feel like, you know, there's some situations that could have went different in that area, you know, like it could have been handled differently. And I feel like they would have been handled differently if it was a white guy or someone else that that, that situation happened to, you know, and you know as a coach, as a mentor, for me, that hurts because first off, that's one of my players, that I you know, it just happened. And that, I mean, there's nothing, there's like... As a teacher you know you got a ton of students and some of some of them are like kids to you as a coach you have a ton of athletes some of them are like your own kids to you so seeing a kid 19 you know pass away from you know police officers that have been wrongfully you know acting and have a history of acting wrongfully not cho- not just towards you know people of color but people in general and is still on the force with no repercussions at all, it says a lot, you know? And it really does. It's, I mean, it sucks because it, I'm just going to be honest. You know, the city I'm living in very conservative city, and so I'm not going to label everyone this, you know, but there was definitely a lot of the community that felt like it was justified, that felt like it was okay, that he was a thug and stuff like that. And personally, I, I, I realized my personal bias because I had that connection with him as a human being as well i don't think murder is ever okay you know i think there's always another way i think you know, these are the type of you know people and communities that you know sometimes it helps to educate if not them then maybe their kids because the kids are the future well, that's why i'm yeah, that's why i'm coaching so that i could build a future where i'm not i'm not nervous that you know if i get detained by a cop that i might die or that if a buddy gets detained by a cop i might die know because the way some people you know be you know saying certain things it kind of just makes me think like well hold up if I was in a situation where I was wrongfully detained would you let that cop keep his knee on my neck or are you gonna do something about it because in my opinion people who say well you know sometimes it just happens uh, that kind of just sends up red flags to me and it's like well no it doesn't just happen that's murder (laughs) like it it doesn't just happen you gotta you gotta deal with it and it kind of just makes me think sometimes well what would you do if i was in that situation would you do something or, or would you not
2: i believe i'm doing something That's- i'm willing to die for what i believe in what
0: i love sure and sometimes i mean you know obviously we don't want to think too radically about that and whatnot but you know sometimes like i said doing the right thing the good thing the morally right thing is it's hard you know the the, the type of things that may happen as an effect uh i mean you you never know oh you, know, you really never know so I'm, that's that's all I gotta really say about that, honestly, you know, I've said my piece, Jake, did you have anything else to add on to that?
1: yeah, so you know as a coach, you know we it's our responsibility to talk about things like this with our athletes, you know my high school coach my junior and senior year said you know the court is a sanctuary but it's only a sanctuary if you trust each other off the court and and Mm -hmm. and he always he preached a journal preached about journaling And and we'd have team discussions about things that were happening you know in 2013 there was a flood and that was one of the things that we talked about how do we handle natural disasters how do we handle x situation and my senior year was was 2014 and we had that team dynamic because we were journaling we were talking about things there was a cop that got shot my senior year and in loveland And we were talking about, like, hey, how do we feel? Do we trust each other? You know, that team was the most solid team I've ever been a part of. Because, you know, we were talking about things. We trusted one another. The tennis court was our sanctuary because we dealt with everything off the court successfully.
0: Right. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a great first step, you know, just talking about it. I know there are some people who definitely get a little, you know, may, maybe a little intimidated if somebody's like talking about the situation or talking about social issues like that. Maybe they're not explaining it as well as they could. And it just kind of sounds like super aggressive. And, uh, you know, that that's definitely a turn off for anybody. But yeah, no, I agree. Like communication and just talking with your teams and, um, you know, athletes in general and getting on the same page is always important. When it comes to talking about tough situations like this, I absolutely agree.
1: Yeah. And, you know, he was from Minnesota. And so some of the things that we would talk about, he would completely open up and say, Hey, you know, I don't really understand it because I lived in the great North and then I moved to Colorado and I still don't understand all of this. But here's what we got. And we trusted him even more because he opened himself up to saying that he wasn't the all-knowing God.
0: Oh, for sure. And there's no shame in saying you don't know much about a situation, you know? That's, that's why you get educated. You got to admit it first, am I right?
1: Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
0: So did y'all have any like last remarks to add on before I close up this podcast? It's been really good, by the way. Y'all, thank you for coming on and sharing all these great stories
2: yeah no no worries bro it's it's what we're here for thanks for the
0: invite exactly for sure that being said now this wraps up this episode of the cycle 365 youth sports mini series look out for next week for the next episode Uh, hey give our boys a follow we'll drop their social medias tag them uh somewhere in this episode you know how it is we gotta take care of our own yeah hey thanks for uh rocking with us us some love on social media look out for the next cycle 365 official podcast episode which will be dropping you know fridays and thursdays while the mini series drops mondays and tuesdays oh yeah peace deuces see ya